you for your presence here today. You're such an awesome God. And you always stand true to your word. You tell us that uh, where your people praise you, you will inhabit their praises. And God, we thank you that you have graced us with your presence today in our worship. And we thank you that you have things that you want to speak to our heart today through this message. Uh, God, I pray that each one of us would have ears uh, to hear what your spirit is saying. I pray this message would not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, but uh, it would be good soil, Lord, where it takes root, God, and, and it produces, uh, God, I'm not asking for 30, 40, 60, but I'm asking for a hundredfold fruit from the message, God, in the lives of the people here and in this congregation. And I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So today I am going to wrap up our series on prayer um, by talking about the need for prayer to be continued or combined with fasting in my message entitled, Hungry for More in Life, Try Fasting. So through our series on prayer, we discussed five different types of prayer indicating that wasn't an exhaustive list, but just something to get us to understand that there's more than just asking God for things, which is the prayer petition, which most of us are pretty good at that. <coughs> we have our list that we can come to God and ask for that. We also talked about the prayer of blessing, the prayer of uh, praise, the prayer of deliverance, and the prayer of intercession. I really believe God wants to encourage us, uh, one, to become more, what's the word I want, more consistent in prayer as a congregation. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, I don't know personally, but God does. I can see fruit when people aren't praying, but God sees that. So wherever you are on that spectrum, he wants all of us to grow more consistent in the area of prayer. And I believe he wants to challenge us as a congregation and as individuals to uh, put fasting with that prayer. And as the prayer team was praying upstairs, our prayer partners, Michael and our prayer partners, you know, uh, and Rena was praying, she says, this is not always a topic people want to hear, and uh, but I'm going to tell you, don't check out on me, because it might make me come walking down the aisle. Start praying now would be a good opportunity to put that into practice right away. My husband said things going around, so this week, this new uh, dripping on top of the normal stuff I have.
my husband and I were talking about prayer and other disciplines, and you know, my husband likes to classify these, and it's a very good classification. These are tools, tools that God has given to us to navigate through life, uh, but tools that we use too little, creating uh, frustration at the challenges and problems that we find ourselves in. So my prayer for each one of us this morning is that we would utilize these tools of prayer and fasting uh, to see more in our life than we are currently experiencing. Although fasting is never commanded in the scriptures, in other words, you'll never find a verse that says, you must fast or thou shalt fast, right? We see the practice of fasting woven throughout the scriptures from the Tanakh to the New Covenant. And when we read Yeshua's co uh, comment in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 18 on prayer and fasting, uh, it gives us a little insight into that the idea that he felt it was something that his Talmudim should be doing. So look at me in verse 16. Now when, pause, Selah. Now when you fast, when, that little word is just telling us that he expected his Talmudim to fast. And he says, when you fast, this is what you should not do and what you should do. Don't go around looking miserable like the hypocrites. They make sour faces so that people will know they are fasting. Yes, I tell you, they have their reward already. But you, when you fast, wash your face and groom yourself so that no one will know you are fasting except your father who is with you in secret. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Jew says, when you fast, Beth Emmanuel, this is what you should do. In other words, Beth Emmanuel, you should be a fasting congregation. I want to encourage you that fasting is not a diet. It's not a new Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, or Nutrisystem plan, you know, to lose weight. So I would not encourage you to approach fasting as, oh, I'm going to join Rabbi Carol and fast, and I'll, maybe I'll lose some weight. Fasting is also not to coerce God into doing something for ourselves or for other people. So sometimes we approach fasting like that. I'm going to fast so God will do this. And now God does answer our, our prayers when we pray and when we fast, but fasting will not coerce God into doing something. And the other big thing, listen to me and everyone pay attention, fasting will not make God love you more. If you never ever fast, which obviously I'm not suggesting that, I'm suggesting the opposite, but if you never ever ever fast from this day forward, God is not going to love you less. No matter what you or I do, God loves us the same today as he did yesterday, he will tomorrow as he does today, his love for us is not changed by what we do or do not do. Understand that. Fasting will not earn God's love. It will not make him think you're better, you know, and that he will, you know, like you more because you're fasting. Fasting, prayer, reading, and all the other disciplines 
are for our benefit. And that's why he encourages us to fast. The other thing that I want to encourage before we look at some examples is that fasting must always be accompanied by prayer. If not, you're just simply skipping a meal. It's prayer and fasting. So if you miss a meal and you don't spend time praying, you're not, it's not a spiritual activity. You've just simply skipped a meal for the day. So there's a book entitled Type Ter- Nine Types of Fast, written by a man named Elmer Towns. And I think it's a book that I'm going to add to my reading list uh, for this year. I did read part of the introduction. It was written in 1995. And he stated at that time how it had been probably 100 years since any serious book had been written on fasting. And he talks about uh, why he felt the need to write this book. And he talks about nine different types of fasting. And I have to say, as I read his introduction, those reasons are just as valid today in 2019, 24 years later, as they were when he wrote the book. And in general, he says this in his introduction uh, to the lack of teaching and practice of fasting. He says, perhaps the reason we have such a little teaching and practice of fasting in the body of Messiah is because we are currently so into the feel-good religion that we don't want to be bothered with any thought of hunger or self-denial. Perhaps our confidence in activism to vert- Uh, virtually bring into the kingdom of God has made us forget the spiritual factors in kingdom growth. Or perhaps a widespread promise that you can have it all has blocked all thought of sacrifice from our minds. Sounds like the body today. He then lists nine types types of fast. And again, I'm not sure the whole book. I want to read it this year. Uh, And so I'm not sure exactly what he means by each of these. There's little snippets from this introduction. But I'm just going to go through them and share why he felt these fasts were needed in the body 24 years ago. And I think you'll agree they're still needed today. He mentions a disciple's fast. And he says that this was needed because more than ever before, believers are in bondage to demonic powers and need strength to stand against sin. He talked about the Ezra fast and said it was needed because believers throughout the world need solutions to many complex problems and threatening situations that they are facing and that their world is facing. Sound like today? Yeah. He talks about the Samuel fast, saying that this is needed because the Kehilah is in desperate need of revival. Selah. And every tribe and tongue a nation is in desperate need of evangelization, of hearing the news of Yeshua the Messiah. He mentions Elijah fast and says the reason he feels this type of fast is needed is because the world in general and the Kehilah in particular are crying out for people of character and integrity. Hello? Do we not see a lack of character and integrity in our world today? And when you find someone, so just a year or so ago, 
a man of God, Billy Graham, who was such a man in character and integrity, passed away. Men and women like that are few and far between, and yet that's what the world is looking for. Talked about the widow's fast. He goes on to Rob Shaul's fast, saying this fast is needed because the media, hello, 25 years ago, 24 years ago, think about it today, has so captured the national attention that even believers are operating according to principles completely alien to God's will for their lives. Now, Evan alluded to our prayer meeting on on Thursday night. Now, if you're my friend on Facebook and you see things that I post, last week I posted a a song from my time of uh, my devotion and my worship, and it was an open worship song this leader was leading, and it was talking about it surrendering her heart and a heart burning for God. But I wrote a couple paragraphs because my heart is stirred when I see things in this congregation, in the body of Messiah. And I said, you know, the problem is we don't fully surrender our hearts to God. And, uh, and in not surrendering, it creates what I called a culture of compromise. That things are tolerated and allowed. That if Yeshua came to your house right now, I think uh, some of us would change a lot. Say that. Would Yeshua be comfortable in your house right now with all that's going on? And a lot of it is because we have allowed the media and the culture around us to shape what we do. So things that we allow in our lives today are because of this outside influence that has no biblical moral, right? No godly morals in the world around us. That's why we need to pray and fast. He talks about the Daniel fast, a Yochanan the Immerser fast, and then he talks about the Esther fast, and we're all familiar with this fast as we get ready to celebrate Purim. And he says this is needed because of the growing influence of demonic forces and the waning influence of biblical believers, especially in North America, and the fact that believers need protection from the evil one. Hello. The devil is alive and well. And demonic forces are bearing down even right now in this sanctuary. There's more going on than what you see with your naked eye. So there are forces over this sanctuary today. Demonic, angelic forces. Battling for this word to go forth as God intends it to. And for you to receive it as God intends for you to receive it. Fasting is a key to seeing the demonic forces pushed back in our life. And godly forces released. So why should we fast? I came up with one reason. Because when you look in the scriptures, again from Moshe to Daniel, Hadassah, Nehemiah, Yeshua, Rav Shaul, they all set an example of fasting. And if they fasted, then we need to fast. 
That's my only reason. I think it's a pretty good one. But why don't people fast? So we read about it in the, in the scriptures. We're going to look at Yeshua's fast in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be celebrating Purim. We read through the story of Purim uh, in the book of Esther. We all see how she fasts for three days and three nights. So we're conscious, at least intellectually, on some level in our mind, that fasting takes place in the scriptures. Yet if I were to ra- ask you to raise your hand right now, and I'm not, and say, how many of you fast regularly? I'm afraid that uh, very few hands will go up. And that's not said in condemnation, but said to challenge us. Friends, that should not be so. Fasting should be a regular part of your life. And again, I'm not telling you to go on a 40-day fast or even a three-day fast. I'm just telling you to start fasting. Period. I believe one of the biggest reasons for the lack of fasting and the body of Messiah is because it involves self-denial. And that's something that we're not accustomed to in our society of instant gratification and that have-it-your-way mentality. So we, you know, we pulled up to McDonald's and Burger King at different times, and, and we're sitting there, like, waiting, and, you know, I remember one time we, my husband and I had gone to a Burger King, this is years ago, and we pulled up and, and the guy finally came on the speaker and says, well, if you can wait five minutes, ten minutes, I'll serve you. And we looked at each other like, is he kidding? You know, this was like supposed to be instant, right? That's his drive through like you get it right away. And that's the whole mentality that we live in. We want things now. We want things instantly. We want things done our way. We don't want to give up our, uh, anything I think that that's the number one reason why people don't fast, because it means you have to deny yourself. I have to deny myself. One spiritual leader said, we'd rather donate a check than give up something that's special to our hearts, like food. Another spiritual leader uh, agreed, saying that fasting is a neglected discipline saying we don't want to deal with anything that runs contrary to our flesh. He said, in America, we are people given to appetite. To deny self is not popular, yet it is essential as a believer in Messiah. So that's the reason why I think that many believers don't fast. It's just not easy to do because I have to deny myself. But I was reading an article uh, by another believer who gave these three reasons why she felt believers didn't fast. And the first was fear. She said, people are afraid. They're afraid of the unknown. I've never fasted before, Rabbi Carol, except on Yom Kippur, and even then I don't really do a good job. Okay? They're afraid of feeling hungry pangs, a feel of starting out and not finishing, afraid of fasting alone. And the enemy, she says, has people bound up in fearful thoughts, convinced that they could never do it. So instead of looking to the Lord for strength and help, they become consumed with their own weaknesses and paralyzed by fear. So they don't even attempt to fast. (coughs) The second reason she gave that 
many believers don't fast is because of ignorance. She says, many, many believers simply have not been taught about the importance of seeking God in this way. Congregations often do not encourage fasting, and in many cases, she said, never even mention it from their pulpit. She went on to say, for example, I grew up in a Bible-believing congregation, but I don't remember hearing a single message on fasting until I was an adult. I wish I could have learned about it at a much younger age. Well, that one's off the table for you guys, because you don't going to be ignorant after today's message. <laughs> and the third is rebellion. A large segment of the believing population is aware of the benefits of fasting, yet they're unwilling to submit to the Lord in this area of their lives. Their hearts are hardened when it comes to the idea of fasting. When God invites them to draw near to them through a time of focused prayer, they dig their heels into the ground and stubbornly say no. And maybe you're not digging your heels in, but you already got your mindset like, wow, I wish I wasn't here. Why do I need to listen to this message? Because I'm not going to fast. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a stubborn heart. And I'm going to tell you, in case you're wondering to know, if you are a, here in this sanctuary today or you're listening to the podcast and you are a follower of Yeshua, meaning you have a personal relationship with him, I am telling you 100% that he wants you to fast, to incorporate that into your life. I'm not telling you how much you should fast, but he wants you to incorporate fasting as a discipline into your life. On some level. But these things hinder us and keep us from fasting. But we're going to look now at what fasting accomplishes as we look through the different examples in scriptures of people who fasted and what happened in their lives and the life of the community around them. The first thing that I believe fasting does is it draws us closer to God. How does it do it? That It does that because we are denying ourselves in order to, to hear him. Again, I was reading different spiritual leaders as they talked about fasting. There was an article where several were interviewed about this topic. And one said, fasting really isn't about food. It's about getting to a place of quiet in the presence of God. Our appetite is just what we sacrifice on the altar. And the man who wrote that book, The Nine Types of Fasting, said that it is eliminating or changing your diet for a spiritual purpose, and that spiritual purpose is to primarily seek God, to go closer to him. And what happens as we draw closer to God? It allows us to hear his heart, to know the things that are important to him at that very moment. And it will help many of us grow beyond that prayer of petition. Because as we went through those different prayers, Michael and I and Rena encourage you that prayer petition is the one that everyone just naturally falls to. Because that's the easiest way to pray. Here's my list, God. Here's people who need something in their life. And again, those are good prayers. We should continue to pray those prayers of petition. But when you fast, you're drawing closer to God, and you're hearing what God has on his heart that he might want you to pray about at that moment. And as we draw closer to God, our faith increases. 
So I think fasting really is a great tool to combat doubt and unbelief. Because there's not one person here in this sanctuary listening to the podcast that the enemy doesn't throw his fiery darts of doubt and unbelief at your mind and at your spirit, causing you to doubt if God can do this or that, if God is real, the whole gamut of things. Fasting comes against that because you are drawing closer to God. And as we draw closer to God, we come to know him more. So when you know him more, you are able to comprehend his ways and to trust him even when you don't clearly understand the circumstances that you're in or what is happening, not just you personally, but even in the world around you. Many people, why, is all, why are all these things happening? Why do bad things happen in the world? And, and people get shaken in their faith because they don't get it. But when you come to know God more personally, you trust him. And you trust that he works all things together for our good, even when it doesn't make sense to our natural understanding. So drawing close to God is the first and foremost benefit of fasting, able to hear him and his heart. The second thing is that fasting empowers us to overcome the schemes of the evil one. Looking first at Yeshua in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Yeshua had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to tell you right now, God's not calling any of you to a 40-day fast, okay? We're going to work on one meal. (laughs) So don't leave here and say, I'm going to do a 40-day fast because that's not God. What happened after this time of fasting? Yeshua was led to the wilderness by the Ruach, but who was there to meet him? Hasatan. And Hasatan tempted him. But Yeshua was empowered to face the enemy, to face the evil one, because he had spent 40 days fasting and praying. That fasting and prayer strengthened him to withstand the temptations of the enemy. Let's look more closely at Hadassah. We've already talked about her in the story of Purim. We know that she was going to go in to the king in order to stop the wicked plan of Haman. Thank you, Dan, on the front row. To stop the wicked plan of Haman. Just getting your prime for Purim, right? But what did she do before she went in to face the king? She prayed and fasted and asked the community to join her. Read with me in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Hadassah then returned this answer to Mordechai, her cousin. Yay. Go assemble all the Jews to be found in Shushan and have them fast for me, neither eating nor drinking for three days, night and day. Also, I and the girls attending with me will fast the same way. Then I will go into the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Three days, fasting and praying, she went into the king, and the rest is history, and we celebrate it every year. What happened? The wicked plans 
of the evil one were defeated. Not because she went into the king alone, but because she prayed and fasted first and had the community pray and fast with her. Do you see the pattern here? Prayer and fasting confronted the forces of darkness. There are forces of darkness bearing down on your life, on your family right now, and prayer and fasting is going to break those forces of darkness. And I'm going to encourage you, what in the heck are you waiting for? You're going to let hell just continue to bombard and beat the tar out of you and your family? Or can you spend one meal a week to begin with to fast and pray against those forces of darkness holding your children in shackles, holding your marriage in shackles, your finances? Hell is relentless in its desire to destroy you and your family. I know what is happening in a lot of your situations. You've confided, you shared with me. I see a lot. Okay, as you come in, as you go out. And my question as throughout this message is what are we going to do about it? We can sit and complain and moan to one another, wringing our hands and worry, contemplating what we should do next, or we can get down to the business of prayer and fasting to see breakthrough and release from the clutches of darkness. And friends, that is my prayer for each and every one of us, that from this message, we will hear the clarion call of God, it is time to pray and fast. It is time, it is past time, shall I say, to pray and fast. The third thing is that fasting brings, it ties into the number two, relief and change to the great needs of our community and our world. And let's face it, our world needs change. Look at the story of Nehemiah, who was in exile, and he was concerned over the state of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And he did take action. We know that he built the walls and restored the city, but what did he do first? Let's read in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah, it was in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the capital. Then Hanani, one of my kinsmen, came out of Yehuda with some men, and I asked them about the remnant of Judeans who had escaped the exile and about Jerusalem. They answered me, the remnant of the exile left there in the province are in great distress and are held in contempt. The wall of Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates have been completely burned up. That's a pretty devastating state of affairs in Judah, in Jerusalem. On hearing this answer, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for several days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That was his first response. His heart was grieved over what he saw. God's heart is grieved over a lot of things going on in this world today. 
And many of us don't hear, feel that heart pain. The heart of God is grieved over things. And we don't even see it. Nehemiah saw it. And he felt the pain that God felt over Jerusalem and Judah. And he mourned and he wept and he fasted. Last week, the new abortion law passed here in New York State. And an attempt in Virginia failed. And I don't know about you, but as believers, I know my husband and I were, we listened in horror to the words of the governor of Virginia as he described a baby being born and being made to be comfortable, said over here to be made comfortable while the doctor and the mother decide whether they should kill, literally murder the child. It's just so shocking to, to hear that. And however they want to back talk it, I mean, it, it was what he said. And the body of Messiah reacted strongly to those couple of things last week. And in our prayer time last week, we prayed about that issue, including identificational repentance for our country that had allowed the murder of, I think I saw as of last year, January, 60 million babies. And so we prayed and asked repentance for that. And afterwards, Rena was talking to Rabbi Michael and myself there in the office. You know, what can we do about this? You know, this is hor horrific. And my husband said, you know, the first thing we could do is pray. But how many people were here for a prayer meeting, Rena? Right? We need to follow the example of Nehemiah and Hadassah. They became people of action. Okay? Hadassah did go into the king. Nehemiah did build a wall and restore Jerusalem. But the first thing they did was to pray and fast. Praying and fasting is not just something we do because, oh, it's a, you're supposed to do it. Prayer and fasting is a spiritual weapon against the forces of darkness. That's why hell doesn't want you to be into this message. It's not one of those hoop and hollering messages, which I like to preach personally. I like to hoop and holler. But this is a message that we desperately need because we are living in desperate times. And the enemy doesn't want you to grab hold of this truth because prayer and fasting is a powerful weapon against him. And if this congregation gets serious about prayer and fasting, we are going to see a lot of changes taking place in our families, in our homes, in our community, and yes, even the world around us. As I said, spiritual forces are raging over your family, over our communities, our nation. But we need to win the battle in the heavenly realms first. And that's done by prayer and fasting and then to act upon it. Two more things of prayer and fasting. 
and before it releases revelation into our lives. Thinking about Daniel. Now, Daniel received many different visions, and this is from Daniel chapter 9. And he says, In the first year of Dariavesh or Darius, the son of Achashverosh, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chastim, in the first year of his reign, Idaniel was reading the scriptures and thinking about the number of years which Adonai had told Yemiyahu, the prophet, would be the period of Yerushalayim's desolation, 70 years. So I turned to Adonai, God, to seek an answer, pleading with him in what? Prayer with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. The next verses, up until verse 20, are prayers of identification or repentance on behalf of his people until we come to verse 20, where we see the answer. And I just want to say, because my son asked me and my husband last week, uh, what's this prayer of identification repentance, Mom? We see this often here in Daniel and in Nehemiah. It is where you identify with the sins of, of your people, of your congregation, of your nation. So when, we, uh, when I said we need to pray as the body of Messiah and take ownership of the abortions that have been tolerated and allowed in this country while we sat by and did nothing, that's what I meant. And we prayed, and as Daniel did, and you can read through Daniel 9. We're not going to read the next verses. We're going to jump to verse 20. But Daniel, Nehemiah, many others in the Bible, God, forgive me and my people because we have sinned against you. Okay? Even though Daniel hadn't personally committed some of those sins, he prayed, but he identified with them. But in verse 20, we see the revelation given. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my own sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and pleading for Adonai, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. <coughs> yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, swooped down on me in full flight about the time of the evening sacrifice and explained things to me. He said, I have come now, Daniel, to enable you to understand this vision clearly. At the beginning of your prayers, an answer was given, and I have come to say what it is because you are greatly loved. Therefore, look into this answer and understand the vision. And then Gabriel, the angel, unfolds the vision to Daniel. Revelation is so important for us to know how to navigate through this world that we live in and how to respond to people daily. When we pray, God will give us wisdom and give us revelation into situations and circumstances. But sometimes as believers, what we end up doing is we just push forward brazenly, feeling like we have a right to express our opinion and let people know what we think and that they need to listen to us. And in the process, we offend people, we misrepresent Adonai, and we make the situation worse. However, if we would take time to pray and fast and seek wisdom and revelation from God, how different the outcome would be in many, many cases. Because we're not acting out of our own zeal and our own imagination, but we've received a revelation, wisdom from God to know what to do. So fasting and prayer gives revelation, which leads to the last point. Prayer and fasting makes us sensitive to the voice of the Ruach. Going to the New Covenant now to Acts chapter 13, and we see the Kehilah here in Antioch, 
coming together. And it says in verse 1, In the Antioch congregation were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Shimon, known as the Black, Lucius from Cyrene, Menachem, who had been brought up with Herod the governor, and Shaul. Over time, when they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. The Ruach HaKodesh said to them, Set aside for me Barnabas and Shaul for the work which I have called them. So after fasting and praying more, so they are fasting and praying, the Spirit speaks, they continue to fast and pray. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, understand the context here. This congregation wasn't asking God necessarily, should we send someone out from us to go into the other most parts of the world at that time. Yet while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them to do that. And the end result was that Rab Shaul went out on his first trip as an emissary and was used by Adonai to touch most of the known world at that time and to write most of the New Covenant scriptures that we read today. But what happened? This congregation was fasting and praying. And the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, spoke to them and said, this is what I want you to do. And all the leadership who was, th who was there felt it was from God. And they did exactly what they heard, and the world was forever changed because they heard the Spirit speak. Many times, it's not the Spirit that we're listening to. Fasting quickens our ear to hear what the Spirit is saying so that we could move according to God's ways and then we see the change that we desire. As we grow in this area of prayer and fasting, we become more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit and the directions that he gives uh, into our lives. And it makes it easier to be led by the Ruach in our daily activity, with the results being that lives are changed and that the world is changed. Friends, there's a lot of things we can just do. You know, we can come up with great ideas about issues in our own lives, about issues in our, our country, in our nation, in our state, and we can come up with a list of, okay, let's do these, these, these things. And many of us have done that, and we have tried to incorporate things for our life personally, uh, you know, maybe where you work and your family. And have you seen change, lasting change? No. Perhaps fasting with your prayer and saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What needs to be done in this situation in my family to see change once and for all, lasting change? Spirit, you direct me. Spirit, you tell me what I need to do instead of us coming up with our own list. And I'm a list person, trust me, so I'm preaching to myself. It's so easy to come up with a list. But Holy Spirit, what are you saying? You direct. My husband said this Wednesday night, God is the best communicator. It's we're not tuned in. Fasting helps us to be tuned in. So as I close today, I want to encourage you to incorporate fasting in your, uh, your spiritual life somehow this year. As I said earlier, it's not going to make God love you more. You'll not be more saved if you fast. 
But Yeshua does tell his Talmudim in Matthew, Matthew 7, 21, in response to their question why they could not drive out the demon, he says, this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. Sometimes we need to do something beyond our normal routine to see breakthrough and release. Quoting uh, one of those spiritual leaders in the article I was reading, is one of the leaders of a, our, our denomination. He said, fasting is saying to God, I am serious about this matter about which I am praying to you. Fasting prepares us to hear the voice of the Spirit, and some victories are accomplished only through fasting and praying. And another author of another book on fasting, which I'm probably going to add to my list as well, says that some things take fasting and prayer. There is no other way around it. There are those kinds of demons that just don't give up. Sometimes you have to do something unusual, extraordinary, and beyond the norm to see breakthrough. Sometimes it only happens, he says, when you get desperate, when you are so tired of being defeated and hindered in that area that you decide to pray and fast. So I want to encourage each one of us to start fasting each week. I said this in one of my other messages in this series. Almost every single one of us can fast one meal a week. I know some of us are on medicines and, you know, that have some medical issues. But under the guidance of, of your doctor and understanding that, I believe everyone, with maybe a few exceptions, can fast one meal a week. Traditionally, over in years past, Thursday was considered a day of prayer and fasting in this congregation. I want to see that renewed this year. So Rabbi Michael and I are asking you to fast one meal on Thursday and to pray instead of eating that meal. And it, the prayer and fasting culminated in our prayer meetings on Thursday night at 6.30. I'm going to encourage you to start coming out to Thursday night prayer. I realize there's a gazillion reasons why you can't make it. You know, even if you make it at 7 o'clock, because if you're one that work and you can't get here till 7, then come from 7 to 7.30. But I want us as a congregation to take serious, because I believe this is a word from God for us. I'm not asking you to go on a three-day fast. I'm telling you, don't go on a 40-day fast. Okay? I'm asking you to fast one meal a week and asking you to do it on Thursday so that as a congregation, we are united. Fasting one meal on Thursday, coming together on Thursday night to pray. There are some desperate situations in some of your lives and in your families. What are we waiting for? The world around us is in desperate need of revival. What are we waiting for? I believe God is calling us to be more serious and more committed to fasting and prayer. And that's my heart for you, that you would join my husband and I in renewing a commitment to fast one meal. That's all I'm asking. I believe that's all that God is asking initially. A year from now, he might ask more of you, but one meal a week. Let's stand to our feet to pray. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward. Evan is going to come up and minister with the